Yeah, it's ugly. I think I looked last week at uh, specifically home runs at USL or guaranteed right field this year. Uh, like what the White Sox are hitting and then what their opponent's hitting. And I could be wrong, but it might it might be double uh, the amount that the White Sox have this year. Their opponents have hit double the amount of home runs. It's, yeah, if I mean, that's actually one of the few numbers I have not looked at. But uh, I would venture to guess you're probably pretty close to being fairly accurate with that statement. And to go back, that's the thing. Like you, we're, we're down. We had such high expectations because of how good this team can be and the, what they've shown in various times last year, and even different players at different times this year. And we expect them to be in a way different spot in the standings in their division. That's why I can't fully lose out hope on this season. Obviously, the whole what will they do it if they get to the postseason is kind of first round exits always still there. But I still think just the way this division is and how it's very winnable, I, I think there's a chance that they snake through some way somehow. I don't know. I don't see. It. Did you just see that strike that was called on Vaughn? Yeah, it's like th- I did three and a half inches outside. Like, what is what is going on here? Um, but uh, I know that uh, Xavier tweeted out something about uh, the White Sox um, leading, or I, maybe I think they were leading Major League Baseball in hits, or like maybe they're like second or yeah. third in hits, and. Uh, they're like fourth in batting average, yet uh, just you know, like the the issue is, is that you can't string together five or six hits these days. It, it's really tough. Like it doesn't happen very often at all. And the fact that this this offense, just due to the fact that they're not hitting any home runs, relies on needing to string together three, four, five hits in a row because nobody's getting any base. You know, nobody's getting any uh, extra base hits. You know, oh, speaking of, it had to do with the amount, the total hits that the White Sox had at the time. I think they were second, and the percentage of those hits that were extra base hits, with the White Sox being the second worst next to the Tigers. Yep. So second most hits, yet second worst in extra base hits. Yep. Pretty stinking pathetic. Yep. It's, uh, and, you know, we talked a little bit about this last week's stream, you know, Frank Minichino and uh, his, uh, his his stats as uh, as a hitting coach in years previous to becoming the White Sox hitting coach. And it seems to be a trend with uh, Frank's uh, tutelage that uh, extra base hits kind of go the way of uh, days past. Uh, you know, Ian brought up a good point that, you know, there were some teams that, you know, we saw a drop off in in home run production, you know, when he was with, uh, what was it, uh, Milwaukee? Oh. Oh, I don't uh, with uh, the Marlins? With the, yeah, I'm sorry, you're right, with the Marlins. Yeah, where, you know, there was a season where there was a huge drop off and they partially because, you know, they traded away anybody that could actually hit the ball out of the infield. But, you know, that's that's one outlier. 
Uh, if you look at his stats over his career as being uh, the primary hitting coach of a baseball team, uh, there are some indicators that point to maybe an approach that he has with his players that uh, is less about hitting the ball out of the infield. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I don't know what to say, but uh, you know, again, you know, how much do I put it Do I put on Frank Minichino? I really don't know because again, guys that are supposed to be able to hit the ball a mile and whether or not there's an approach issue. Oh, look at this. White Sox are on the board and tied up the game. It's a tie ball game. Eloy in the bottom of the eighth pulls Eloy. right down the third baseline. Hey, look at that! But two doubles in a row. Imagine that. Yeah, here we are talking about extra base hits, and we just watched two back to back. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, maybe it's a trend. It's a trend. <laughs> it's not a trend. <laughs> it's. I mean, just because it's two in a row, it's not a trend. It's definitely not a trend. It, like we're for this White Sox team, that's a streak. It, that is a streak. <laughs> um, yeah. One thing I was thinking about today um, is that. You know, yesterday they finally broke the 100 home runs barrier for the season, and one August thing, 14th. Yeah, I was I was curious. I was thinking to myself, I wonder when. And I could I don't know where to find this information. This is one of those things that I would need to like really really dig into. But when was the last time that they hit their hundredth home run? In mid-August. You'd probably have to go back quite a way. Yeah, I mean, so I also found another interesting little tidbit that I was thinking about as well, that if, so we're looking to get, you know, obviously we want that you hope that they start hitting home runs at a more uh, aggressive clip here. Um, Cause it seems like the bats are coming around a little bit and that they are starting to hit a few more homers. Um, and, and with health that is, that has certainly helped things out a lot, but you know, I've uh, got like uh, what, like 40, 40 something games left. What is it? Like uh 40, I think it's 45, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so they basically have to – so the the number that I put it at of utter uh, – being utterly pathetic, uh, the number that I put it at was 122 home runs. So basically they need to hit 21 more home runs in the final 45 games or whatever it is. And the reason why I put it at, at – at 122 home runs is because uh, that is the amount of runs. 121 is the amount of home runs that the 1994 White Sox hit in 113 games. I was going to say that was the 16 games. Yeah. That was the uh, strike shortened season. Yep in which the White Sox had one of the best ball clubs in baseball going into that strike. I think they had just lost the, the you know, the best record in baseball. They lost the title of having the best record in baseball just shortly before that uh, strike had happened. But that's, that's a shame that if they can't get to that number with an extra month and a half, 
Yeah. Terrible. To play baseball. Absolutely yeah. terrible. I mean, that's, yeah, that's gotta be, that's atrocious. Yeah. I mean, could you, I, I can't, I can't even right now. I can't think of how angry I would be if that actually does happen. And I also, I, I will be interested if they don't end up getting to 122 home runs. I'm, I'm very interested to see what their, what their record is. And my guess is probably 81 and 81, you know, because it's, yeah, just, just, you know, it's looking that way. I mean, yeah. 83 win season, as somebody predicted earlier, is uh, looking pretty pretty close. I mean, I would say you were a soothsayer at this point. Yeah, that's not something I wanted to be right about, you know, but uh, due to the lack of moves and everything, I just didn't see how the team was realistically all that much better losing a good pitcher and uh, and not going out and trying to improve the team. And... Uh, Lo and behold, we are looking at uh, what I kind of thought was going to be the thing. And unfortunately, uh, the other teams don't want to lose. So they're playing decent, uh, you know, decent baseball. The thing about them is that neither one of those teams, nobody really expected either one of those teams to really do anything. So the fact that the Guardians and Twins are fighting it out for first place, you know, Everybody else is, you know, at least pseudo thrilled about that. Meanwhile, you know, White Sox fans sitting here watching this team that's supposed to be a juggernaut. And they struggle to score three runs. It's brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you pretty much said it all. Yeah, it's sad. Um. So let's see. We got Grandal, two balls, one strike, two outs. Bottom of the eighth. Got guys on first and second. Three and one. Hey, three and one. I'll take three and one. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I ended up uh, getting home at eight forty-five for a game that was supposed to start at five thirty for my kids' fall ball team. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, the umpire didn't show up until uh, 6.15, so the game started late. And then it was uh, Walkapalooza, like one of the slowest games in history, just a bunch of walks. And, um, yeah, so I had to sit there and, you know, figure everything out that was not working. For whatever reason, my computer, or actually OBS, just decided to change all my settings for basically everything having to do with audio on oh, Grandal walks. I'll take it on six straight change-ups. That's, that's pretty insane. You know, he's the Cuban six guy that walks. And, so, I mean, you know, I'll take it. I mean, he almost did. Wow. And, and you know, the, the one strike that was the first strike that was called on him was another one of those pitches that was three, three and a half inches off the outside of yeah. the plate. Yeah, it's a, the, like the un, the unfortunate thing is that, you know, I'm all for keeping normal umpires if they could figure out how to call balls and strikes. But the thing is is that they they're just so terrible at it and the fact that they're when you look at umpire scorecards, there we go. 
Hey, Johan Mankata with a, with a base hit right up the middle. That is that is a wonderful thing. Scores two. White Sox lead four to two. It's a beautiful thing. Man. Beautiful thing. I will say this, you know, the one thing this team does is they don't quit at end of games. You know, so I mean, if you wanna, you know, we we've talked about the lack of fire and the lack of heart. They don't completely lack heart. Sometimes they they kind of luck into a situation where uh you know they find a way to score and end the games, you know, luckily you know, other teams are giving them some gifts, whatnot, but uh overall this team is uh it, they they find ways to score late sometimes. Unfortunately, far often than more more let me try that again. Far more often than not, when they are scoring late in games, they're already down six, and then they score three, and they still lose by three. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it's- yeah. There, that happens a lot. Um, just the, uh, just the, you know, that I, I even when I said that I thought that the White Sox would finish uh, eighty three uh, with eighty three wins. And I still had them winning the division by one game. But in no way did I foresee them getting being 500 like this in such a manner that makes somebody want to stick a fork in their eye. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the most <laughs> boring, awful brand of baseball I've ever seen in Major League Baseball. I, I think Jim McMahon would recommend you do not do that. Yeah. I think uh, he'd put a he'd put a cork on the end of the fork like uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels with Steve Martin with the poking himself <laughs> in the eye patch with a corked fork. Um, not often you get to bring that up. And Xavier's sitting there saying, what is this guy talking about? It's that, probably a little bit before your time. I don't know. A if you lot know of the bit great, before his time. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if you know much about the great Jim McMahon, who uh, was the Bears quarterback. It brought them to the uh, Super Bowl 20 victory. But uh, old Jimmy, when he was a kid, uh, apparently had a knot in his shoelace. Decided he was going to use the tines of a fork to is get it out. that and, happened? Uh, I, if well, maybe I'm remembering the story wrong, but I believe, I believe that's how it happened. He had a knot in his shoelace and decided to use the tines of a fork to help get that thing out, and uh, kind of yanking on the knot and right in the old eyeball. That's brutal. But wow, he went on to have brain. a pretty successful NFL career. So yeah, there's that. Yeah, for sure. Um, well. Uh, Josh Harrison also gets a call that is not a strike call. They strike on him. It's been a long inning. It has. Sox have had some base runners. Yeah, surprisingly. Oof. You know, they have uh, gone and done the unthinkable and strung a bunch of hits together, so that's kind of nice. Including some extra base hits. Yeah, including the extra base hits, yeah. Maybe we should just get on and stream for every game and talk about how bad they are at uh, 
the extra base hit so they can make us look sort of sound stupid. Although, am, you know, to be honest with you, I'm not doing they're pretty that. good at looking. They're pretty good at making themselves look stupid. So, yeah, I am. I am not going. To Nor do am I. That. <laughs> it was a little tongue in cheek facetious yeah, uh, no. suggestion there. <laughs> I have to like lately I've had to. I, I found myself less and less excited about uh, turning on the TV to watch the games. So, um, you know, obviously I still watch. And uh, minor league baseball is still happening, so I do a lot of that. But I, I, could, I, couldn't, I couldn't do that and get on every single day. You know, like the, the good thing for Chuck and Ozzy for the post game and the pregame is it's only like a half an hour long, you know? So they've got plenty of content to stretch out for the beginning half an hour and the ending half an hour. There's always something for them to talk about for that little amount of time, plus there's commercials thrown in. This this is this is a, a much bigger undertaking. And if we were going to do it Indeed. for the entire game... Yeah. yeah, no, that's uh, that's a full-time job. And, uh, you know, when you think about that, you think about what uh, Steve and Jason do on a daily basis, and they have to watch this trash, you know, fairly regularly, at least for, you know, 81 games a season when, when they're doing it at home. And, you know, at, at least when they're on the road, they're traveling a little bit. They're getting to see a different ballpark, a little bit of a change of scenery. I don't know if that helps. Yeah. But, uh, you know. When you have to when you have to sit at home and, and watch this horrendous home offense at, at guaranteed rate field, that's got to be a difficult task for them to uh, keep things as positive as they do and uh, keep the content upbeat. Yeah, uh, you know so. they have their little segments that uh, help things flow a little bit. You know they've got their little advertisements and their little. Uh, jingle that they sing and socksmith and things of those nature that keep things flowing for them. But my goodness, can you imagine being a broadcaster for this team with the record and the offense the way it is at home this season? Well, I mean, you remember how Hawk Harrelson took care of it. He just stopped talking for five minutes. <laughs> or, you know, tell a story about Carl Yastrzemski. Or that, yes. You could certainly... Uh... <laughs> You could certainly tell yourself. You could spin a yarn about the Yaz, you know. Um, and here comes the Liam Hendricks entrance. Um, I will say um, that Edwin Diaz trumpet thing uh, for his entrance into the game—that's pretty fantastic. And I think that uh, the White Sox are doing the along the same lines of things. Um, the only thing I'll say is that uh, I like uh, Diaz's music a lot better. That song that plays for Liam Hendricks. Oof. That Liam Hendricks song, I just listened to it, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. This, yeah. Uh, this song sounds like uh, if an Affliction t-shirt was a song, <laughs> that's that's the song that he comes out to. It's like an Ed, Ed Hardy hat and an Affliction t-shirt. You know, yeah, that's, that's what that song gracious. is. <laughs> Just saying. Um, but, n- you know, nothing. I would even rather listen to that song than that uh, that song that they do for the uh, NBC Sports Chicago 
uh, that rap tune. Oof, that thing was well, yikes. I don't know. I don't know who wrote Xavier that. Xavier looks or, confused. Have you heard it, Xavier? It's like a music video. It mm-hmm. came out like, uh, I don't know, two, three weeks ago. And the first <laughs> time I heard it, I was like, I never want to hear that song ever again. Um, I have to look it yeah, I, I'll see. I'll see if I can find it, and then maybe we could listen to it. That'd be a heck of a lot of fun, uh, Xavier. So uh, we've been here for uh, about thirty minutes already, and we have yet to talk about your experience of the last week. So, uh, for those of you that don't know, Xavier was out working at the Field of Dreams game out in Dyersville, Iowa. Uh, how was your experience? It was really cool. I, I previously went to the Field of Dreams my senior year of uh, a college, um, right before the pandemic. It was, we, they used to do, like, they called it a te- team of dreams, and it was like, business owners and something else against like they mix in professional athletes so the one year uh reggie jackson was there uh edgar martinez jim edmonds ricky henderson wade boggs and they would play this game but the last few years they haven't had that so i was hoping for a return of some sort last year during the first game that they held there i applied originally so what I kind of discovered, there's a lot that goes into like any game, but there's a lot of different people in charge of very different things. And um, one person, one group might do the hiring and that company might work with the people that were hired by this other company. So there's lots of like intertwining pieces involved. And I, I was able to learn a lot about how that all worked out. But Last year's game, I didn't get to work it. Uh, the one job I wanted from this one company was to work on like the audio-visual stuff, and I just didn't happen to get it. So this year, I went through this group called BAM Productions, who works with, I think, a few different leagues when they do events. And they had like eight different jobs you can pick from. Hmm. And I just kind of wanted to go, so I didn't really mind just what I did. So, um, when I applied, I, I was like, I, I put down a few, but the lady was really pushing that they need help in transportation. So that under transportation, it was like a, a range of things from, uh, working, um, golf carts and moving people around to working parking lots and a few other, uh, checking parking passes and guiding people out of the stadium. So I took on the, that role each game. There's two games, minor league and major league. I took on um, a different thing for each game. But what was nice was um, you had time in during the game. So you had something you, they needed you for the beginning uh, handful of hours. So the game, people started getting let in at 2 o'clock. And then the game time was 6.15. So around... 6.30, 6.45, it kind of relieved you from your space and said, you know what, you can uh, take the time, take your break. Uh, you know, we need you back at least by this time or this part of the game. Get ready to go finish your shift. And 
I had the late shift, so two to midnight, and that was nice because you got to be there for the game. So both nights I got to like see what the ballpark was like, and uh, I've been to the movie site, but obviously never this field. So I kind of took it all in as much as possible, took some pictures, and both games I probably spent a good hour watching and seeing the lay of the land. Who played the uh, the minor league game? I meant to look at, look and see who that was, and I never looked. Obviously, I think they used like a different name for the teams um, for the special occasion, but it was the Quad City River Bandits and Cedar Rapid Colonels. I oh, thought okay. it was kind of so unique. That's a dev league then. Yeah, the development um, league. Yeah. Um, one of the things that would have been kind of cool. So obviously, <laughs> with the Royals, we talked about. Um, Michael Massey, uh, he's a kid that I grew up with, and he's from my neck of the woods. Oh, are they the single A and teams? He did, Those teams uh, yeah. single A? So, gotcha, okay. Uh, so, if Michael Massey would have never made his two jumps this year, he would, he started with the Quad City River Bandits before going to the Omaha Barnstormers, then going to KC. So he would have been in that game, which is kind of wild to think about. Yeah, yeah, when I was out there, cool. I tried to do that. I tried to go out and see. Uh, I think we we tried to see the uh, Clinton Lumber Kings, which they're they're in the developmental league, and then we got there and the game got canceled because of COVID, so we didn't get to go. That was a bummer. Um, I don't know if you guys ever been to the Quad Cities. Um, that field looks really cool. I drove past it when I went to Dubuque a few times when I took the bus. And it's just on the water. It seems like a really cool stadium to go check out. Now, you know, I've been in the Quad Cities area uh, a few times for work. Uh, but the majority of my work was uh, on the Illinois side, you know, mm-hmm. over in uh, Moline. So I had not at, – now, you know, of course, while working over there, I would try to, you know, travel. I've done, the, you know, the Davenport and Dubuque and that, that – crossing the river but i've never had a chance to uh actually see that stadium although i hear it is a pretty nice uh ball field yeah uh if back to the field of dreams so i'm the teams they come in the day of they it's like the busiest time of the year for the dubuque county airport um and they have obviously the major league teams that both fly in and then get bussed out with a a state patrol car guiding them through from the airport to a field. And then there's a bunch of private planes coming in and out throughout the day. But a lot of the people stay in Dubuque. So um, MLB commissioner and his staff, they're in Dubuque on Main Street at like the old hotel in town. And then all of MLB Network's crew come to stay at this hotel and spend the evenings there's a few different local events that each of them all have to go to. And then some, after those are done around 8, 9 o'clock, they kind of disperse into Main Street, go to a couple of local bars, have a few drinks before heading in each night. So I was able to run in this year um, a few different people. Harold Reynolds, who was super nice when I was chatting with him. Harold. Kevin Millar. No one knew oh, Harold Reynolds or Kevin Millar. <laughs> When I met him. Mm, really? Um, Tim Busfield was roaming around Dubuque. Uh, he was on 
the lookout for Jameson the one evening. Uh, I think he ended up finding it somewhere, but he definitely found it. <laughs> and then found the bottom uh, of that bottle too, probably. Yeah, I think so. Because, yep, he did. And then one of the other people was Ken Rosenthal. Ken Rosenthal last year, when I went up to Dubuque, I met him on his first day. So me and my brother, we were doing our, our morning run and walk around the town. And we're, we're going down Main Street. And I I, I take the cor- around the corner and then I pass up this guy. And I'm, I'm like, I think I recognize him, but I couldn't like figure out his name. And then I realized it was Ken Rosenthal. So I ended up taking a picture that day. And then he looked so confused. He must have just got off of a taxi and just kind of been like, okay, now I'm in Dubuque. Where am I supposed to go? And I asked about it this year. I'm like, you know, because I wanted him to sign this book I had. I was like, uh, Mr. Rosenthal, you know, I, I don't know if you remember, but... And then he kind of, like, stopped me. He's like, he did remember. Like, he remembered that scenario of him, like, showing up to the view. Because it hadn't been his, like, first five minutes in town. And I must have been the first person, like, introduce him to the town of Dubuque that day. So I always have that random story. I, uh... And then the last... Go ahead. They didn't appreciate... I I couldn't find... uh, I was calling it, uh, Dubuckley. They didn't like that. Dubuckley. They didn't like Dubuque no. either. Surprisingly. Dubuque. Dubuque. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you wear... Does Ken Rosenthal wear the bow tie everywhere? Everywhere. Not everywhere, but... Was he, was he wearing the bow tie when to... you saw him get off the bus or out of the cab or whatever it was when you met him in the first five minutes in not town? That, not that day, but no. I did see him on the day. So not a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> All right, it's not part of his travel. Another person, another person that was where to be so up and close to was Alex Rodriguez. Uh, that was where to see a guy of his like stature, like size wise, but also where he is in the grand scheme of sports and pop culture in the tiny Iowa town. That it, uh, it's weird because. This doesn't happen in Iowa. Like they don't have these occurrences every day. So to see these people and all the attention is on this town is very odd to explain and kind of take in. Yeah, there's not much happening in Iowa. Uh, you know, 363, 364 other days out of the year. Exactly. So. Corn, more corn. <laughs> yeah, when when we went there, it was uh, was not exciting. Uh, about the 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 most excitement we got was uh, um, seeing a movie and then uh, going to Culver's. That was that was about the uh, the max of the. You excitement. can do that anywhere. Yeah, exactly. In the middle. Some of the other people I ran into during the game, just out and about, was um, Sean Casey. Carlos Zambrano, Giovanni Soto, Carlos Zambrano. Marty Brenneman. Oh, I guess it was a Cubs thing, so that makes sense, sort of, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Marty Brenneman, yeah, so- Jed oh, Um, I spent a few minutes with Tom Ricketts and uh, Ben Zobris. I uh, just talking. I I met Mr. Ricketts a few times, and we. Ch- I was bringing up a couple things in the past, and then Ben Zobris. 
uh, Loris men's basketball coach grew up with him. Hmm. So we were kind of chatting about that for a little bit before I had him sign a couple of baseball cards. Nice. 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 Now I imagine, you know, there was a lot of talk before this field of dreams game about, uh, two teams this season, pretty much competing for some of the worst teams in baseball. You know, it was like, who's going to be the last place team. You know, obviously last season, uh, the first inaugural Field of Dreams game. Uh, the White Sox. I'm glad you're bringing this up, actually. The, yeah. I've actually the White Sox, about this. Yeah, the White Sox and the Yankees uh, were the first uh, teams to, to play in this game for uh, obvious reasons. You know, going back to the movie and the characters in the movie, you know, some of the, the main protagonists being, uh, you know, ex-Sox and, and Yankees players. Uh, this season... And, of course, you know, the Yankees and the White Sox being uh, pretty solid contenders last season as well kind of made for, uh, I guess, uh, you know, what most folks would imagine being uh, a highly energetic, you know, kind of electric feel out there, Uh, especially the way the game ended. You know, we all remember Tim Anderson hitting the walk-off into the cornfield, which was pretty stinking spectacular for us Sox fans. Yeah. But, uh, you know, for folks that weren't there, there's been a lot of talk about how two bad teams were playing in it this year. I imagine that, you know, yeah, you can go on the socials and, and, and see all this talk about two bad teams playing. But let me ask you this, Xavier. Was the feel at the Field of Dreams this year, did it, it – I imagine, you know, it, it's still the Field of Dreams. It's still kind of this iconic place that's supposed to be, you know, magical in the story. Did you get that feeling, that same sort of excitement and energy – even though we were watching, you know, two pretty bad teams play baseball there this year. Yeah, so obviously the Cubs aren't the White Sox and Yankees, and same with the Reds. They've all actually, this season, uh, something that the White Sox lacked was the Cubs had that random stretch of win streaks, and the Reds kind of been 500 since that terrible streak. Um, but they're kind of just mediocre, bad teams this year. And... I thought about this a lot as I read the comments. I looked at all the news stories and read what are people saying in the Facebook comments, the Twitter threads. And I have to disagree with people that uh, this is some dumb gimmick. Why are they doing this game? I do think to an extent that the White, like a Chicago team, like the White Sox should have been in it. I think that's just part of the story. But at the same time, I wouldn't be opposed to letting other teams just partake in this event because obviously the game was a great game last year, home runs, the, the ending, uh, the two teams were fighting for like to be in the playoffs and they're hot teams. And then obviously the whole TV production was, was brand new to people. So seeing Kevin Costner and all the actors from the movie, the TV side was going to be hard to replicate, uh, do again this year. The game itself and just people who were able to attend, I think that still remains special and unique because you go, you, you're on the movie site when you enter. You you go through the corn to get to your seats, and then you get to watch this baseball game, middle of nowhere, Iowa, and you saw that with each fan that got to go. Uh, one person I was able to uh, meet this week was Dan Evans, who was the... GM of the Dodgers, worked with the White Sox, who he happened to follow me on Twitter, which was kind of cool when I met him. He 
he knew who I was, which was kind of exciting for uh, my for me. Um, that this guy who's done that in his career, who's now in this ownership group, knew who I was. But he talks about how just he wants, even though they they have like these big plans for that whole uh, corn property, I'll call it. He wants to find a way to keep the movie site kind of sacred, which you see with the people who get to go. It's him himself. He wants to re- keep that as is untouched where it's at right now. Obviously, he would like to see the stadium become more uh, solid and uh, long-term. Right now, it's kind of a metal thing that's yeah. kind of put together. Yeah, scaffolding. And I don't think I don't think they want that long term, so they're gonna. And I don't think they want to make it any much bigger, so I don't think you're gonna see a jump to thirty thousand plus seats. It's gonna remain small. I don't know if they're gonna make it any big, like five thousand plus more but, seats. Yeah, it's big. like eight thousand or so seats, I believe, right now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think it's eight thousand right now, but I don't know in their plans what they're doing if they're making it. A few more thousand seats or leave it at 8,000. But what he, from my understanding and the conversations I had, and then what he's been telling others, he doesn't want it to overpower. So, obviously, from the movie site, you can see the field, but he doesn't want it to suddenly be what you would see at any of these other ballparks. And then he still wants to leave um, enough of the corn fields. Uh, Visible. So a lot of those new ballparks that you're seeing in those uh, drawings and uh, concepts, you're going to be kind of a little farther out. So that that field, when you step on it, that's what you see, and you don't see much of the wild plans outside of it. Yeah, kind of uh, just keeping the site, at least the original, you know, the original Field of Dreams movie site. Yeah, they want to keep that. Uh, mm-hmm. Keep that pristine. Uh, and the, you know, for what these it was. plans weren't, they weren't new. Um, the people that have, whether it's who've kind of passed around the hands of who's owned it or who's been kind of the leaders of this site, they've always had ideas and plans to make this thing bigger than it was. So they always hoped somehow they can do things for younger athletes to be able to play baseball, not just on that diamond, but kind of create some type of complex. Obviously, it's got bigger than what they probably ever dreamed, but that was always something they had hoped. Right on. I think that the, uh, you know, we went there, you know, I I don't know if you were (laughs) on for when I was talking about it last time, but uh, I went for my uh, kids' uh, travel baseball team. We went there and did a tournament there and um we had a good time you know i mean we weren't allowed really to go over in the mlb thing because they were uh they were in the process of building it and it was just a couple of weeks out from the game um but you know it's a nice little area and they've uh, they've done a pretty decent job at keeping the uh you know the the movie site intact and in pretty nice shape you know so i don't know i think uh, personally, I always I, I kind of thought that last year, even though that yes, the White Sox and Yankees was like a kind of larger than life type deal, 
Um, I was personally of the the thought that it should be the White Sox against the Reds because that was the the Black Sox scandal. You know, it was the White Sox and Reds. So I thought that that's who should who the, who should been in the game last year. But uh, you know, I think that that would have made a little bit more sense for the White Sox to continue doing it, considering that the whole movie's based around the White Sox. But, uh, you know, hey, whatever is what it is. Um, I thought that uh, the thing that that struck me as funny is that that everybody knew that the Cubs and Reds were not going to be very good this year. And yet, that's still who was decided upon for being in the game. So that's a that was the kind of thing that made me a little bit confused is why they decided, even though everybody knew that both teams were probably not going to be good this year, that that's who the decision was that they were going to make the game. Even um, when it was announced, even because last year they knew who was going to be in it right when that game happened. And all those teams kind of made a bunch of moves. They knew that they were going to be struggling teams. So that was kind of weird. Now it makes you wonder, okay, we've had the Yankees. We had the White Sox, Reds, Cubs. And if you're not going to do the White Sox every year, who's going to be next, I wonder, is one of the things. Obviously, next year they're taking off. So it's going to be that big London game or whatever. But Uh, will the cards get back-to-back kind of games there? Because that was my next. I was like thinking, oh, maybe the Cardinals get to play because they were written in to play the Sox before they had to cancel that one. I mean, the Cubs and Cardinals would have made sense. You know, Missouri's right below Iowa. The Cubs have a big fan base in Iowa because of WGN and the fact that their minor, you know, their minor league team, you know, their AAA team is in Iowa. That would have made a lot of sense. Why they decided to do the Reds and the Cubs, no idea. But uh, yeah, you know, you got to wonder what the criteria is. I'm to uh, get together and figure these things out. But I, I wish they would, you know, make these things public so that we weren't sitting here trying to figure out exactly why things went down the way they did. You know, obviously, it's always going to be it's going to be an event because it is the Field of Dreams. You know, the movie uh, was a special sports movie, especially for baseball. Uh, But it's you know, it's always rated. You know, you see these polls out there about you know best sports movies, and, and we're not just talking about best baseball movies; we're talking about sports in general. And Field of Dreams is always one of those ones that's rated in the top you know three. And, and on most lists, um, you know, there's just it it it, ta- it it brings on that that you know the concept of magic and how magical sports can be and how they can affect us uh, fans uh, emotionally and mentally and uh, you know kind of what we invest as fans into these games, uh, you know, whether it be basketball, baseball. All those things. So that's always going to be special, you know, just the fact that they are doing this Field of Dreams game uh, on a, you know, fairly regular basis. But, uh, you know, it still begs to differ. The, the, the questions out there of how, <laughs> how are we, how are we choosing this? What's the criteria? Who kind of makes that decision? And 
you know, why is it, why, why do we end up seeing what we see? Now, obviously, the first one, you didn't have to ask the question why. We knew why. We knew why the, the White Sox and the Yankees were there because, you know, Shoeless Joe Jackson and, of course, uh, Ray Liotta's character in the movie playing uh, Kevin Costner's dad, uh, you know, coming back to uh, have a catch. I'm sorry, not Ray Liotta. Yeah, the other guy. Uh, <laughs> Dwyer Brown. There you go. Which I have had the pleasure of meeting and reenacting that scene with having a catch with at a card. uh was a, uh, a baseball memorabilia show that I happened to work at probably I don't know, six or seven years ago now. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, it was before the doors opened. Uh, I was working at, a, you know, I was doing marketing, and uh, I had a spot literally right across the aisle from uh, Dwyer Brown doing his, uh, you know, selling his book and doing signatures and memorabilia and stuff like that. And just before the doors open, I walked over to him. I talked to him about the movie a little bit, and he literally pulled out one of those gloves from the 1920s. And uh, he said, you know, seemed like a nice guy. He's like, uh, you're probably not going to ask, but uh, do you want to do it? And I said, do what? And he said, you know, the scene. I said, well, uh, all right. So literally there's like now there's all these other people that are working at this convention. And uh, I get, we, you know, cell phones everywhere. People literally take in, you know, pictures and video. And I, I got tagged in a bunch of, you know, uh, Snapchats and, and Twitter posts and Facebook video of people I didn't even know. But it was it was kind of super cool just to reenact that scene. And he literally just handed me this old timey baseball mitt that barely, you know, he barely had uh, the you couldn't tell the difference in the finger threads and and. You know, there was really no webbing on this thing, hardly. And he, you know, I shoved this thing on my hand and he started to walk away from me. And as he walked away from me, just, you know, he kind of looked at me, he looked over his shoulder, like, are you going to do it? And I, I did it. I did the line, you know, hey, dad, you want to have a catch? <laughs> and he did the whole thing. He turned around. He said, I, I love that, you know, and every, I mean, there was just so many cameras on me and people t- taking video. It was kind of a cool moment because I didn't even have to ask this guy. He asked me. You know, uh, you know, pretty awesome stuff. You know, it, it just again here. I, I hadn't seen the movie in years, but I knew exactly who I was. Uh, you know, some people tell me, "Oh, it's that guy from that ice skating movie." You know, <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did. I'm like, yeah, whatever. But uh, yeah, you know, it just goes to show you the magic that kind of falls around that whole movie and that that whole one little itty bitty field. In in Dyersville, Iowa. So, really cool stuff that they got going on there. Yeah, when that game happened, you also found out uh, the amount of angst from people who genuinely hate that movie for whatever reason. Um, I know that's what that's what I there's a there's someone who shared a clip of Tim Anderson and CC Sabathia talking about it and. And the person who posted it wasn't so much like CC's and them said that like black baseball players don't connect to it so much, which is fine. Not everyone has to connect to everything. Um, but then the, this person shared it on her Twitter, making it seem like she was better because she didn't like it. Like 
it suddenly cool like made her a better cooler person because she thought it was a lame movie which my biggest thing is as long as nothing harms you or harms others why do you have to be that way about something people enjoy that's the world we live in, unfortunately. People love to feel better about themselves and make other people feel bad. That is that is the internet in a teacup. Yeah. And it's insane that these people, like this particular person, has a huge following and is featured in these different sports uh, films lately. I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. It just bugged me. It was really in my gears. Um, did we mention the White Sox won 4-2? I don't think we did mention nope, that. No, not yet. We did not. Yeah, since we started talking about the Field of Dreams, I, I did want to kind of address that as well. And, you know, obviously uh, I'm getting a little nostalgic about the, uh, the Field of Dreams. I've never, I have not had the opportunity to see it myself, by the way. My wife has been there. It's worth uh, at least going once. But yeah, we, uh, we have not discussed the end of this, uh, this White Sox game this evening. And uh, then I saw four to two win after uh, not scoring until the uh, bottom of the eighth inning. So yeah, White Sox winner. If you're uh, if you're still with us, you know, go ahead and hit us up in the chat and let us know what you think about that. But uh, I can tell you right now, <coughs> my only thought on this game is 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 twofold. You know, uh, we have seen the comments about the bullpen and, and, you know, how it has not been as great as we thought it was going to be this season. But the one takeaway I have from this game is that here we are not scoring until the bottom of the eighth again. Uh, We are not doing much against a pitcher. We should probably have a little bit of success against some, some success. Uh, Last time we faced Yukiti, we did not do well and took the loss. Tonight the White Sox face their Katie. They still don't do well to get them, and and they get in. They get on the uh, on the Astros bullpen. So all I'm going to say is this: my takeaway is is this offense is still frustrating as hell to watch. Uh, pitching is not the problem. Pitching is you know obviously Johnny Cueto two runs, but uh, only one of them were earned. And chances are it would have been a, a 0-0 ball game if uh, Josh Harrison had uh, made the play in the bottom of the first. I'm sorry. Yeah, the, the top of the first. Botched the double uh, play. And, yeah, he botched a double play. The game would have been 0-0, and Cueto would have been cruising. We would have been tied at 0 going into the eighth inning. So, really, it comes down to the same old, same old, yet again. Poor defense and stagnant bats. But uh, the White Sox come away winners tonight against the Houston Astros. Winners, uh, what is this now, six straight at home? Am uh, I right on that? S- <sighs> yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's six after today. Does that sound right? I, think I, that's believe, right. That, I believe that is six straight yeah. at home. Uh, took the series yeah, one against the – What is it for? Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. What, what, go ahead. What's your question? Oh. What was it again for uh, Hendricks? Like 17 straight or something now? Uh, it also sounds convert. right. Yeah, that's right. I just, I'm just, I just want him to have one outing. It's been a while. Just like a clean inning. Uh, just one inning. No hits. No earned runs. I'm glad no you brought walks. that up. 
because that was he, going to be one of my through, next points. Um, but there's been a few in this uh, time frame where he's given up a run, or even like like today, I think he gave up a hit and a walk, which isn't like the biggest deal. Like he got through it, but I just could really use a, a very clean outing, maybe maybe a couple strikeouts or strike them all out. Just I need a clean inning out of him once. Yeah, you know we I I'm, like I said, I'm glad you brought that up because. He has converted 17 save opportunities in a row. But, as you said, some of those have been a little on the sloppy side. Uh, his uh, whip is not exactly perfect. You know, it's not the cleanest whip that he's had in his career. Uh, and we saw it again tonight where, you know, it, you're... Now, here we are in the stream, and we're talking about the Field of Dreams, so we don't want to really interrupt too much about what you were talking about, Xavier, and your experience down there while you worked uh, at the game. But, uh, you know, I'm quietly sitting here watching the game while I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking to myself all at the same time. Here we are, bottom of the ninth. The Sox finally put together some some hits and put some runs across the plate. Liam Hendricks is going to come in and white-knuckle ride us to the finish by putting two guys on and then falling behind in the count <laughs> for the third guy. And you're thinking, Oh dear Jesus, here we go. Yeah. But and the, the White came. Sox, they the won. results did come and the yeah. White Sox beat one of the hottest teams in baseball. So that's you know, the best record in the AL. Maybe we are, uh, maybe we are turning a corner. I don't know, but it sure doesn't feel that way. You know, until, until they get uh, like a stretch of like 15, 20 games where they go like 15 and five, I'm just not going to like, I, 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 I can't let myself do it again because I, I've done no. this so many times where I, I've watched this team and I want them to be that team that we think that they should be. And we've been let down so many times that I just, I, <laughs> I, I can't let myself get suckered again, you know? Bringing on the heartache. Yeah. little uh, Setting yourself up for disappointment. You know? Yeah. You, you, I mean, there's that part of you that wants to go, there it is, finally, the turning point. But you just can't let yourself have that because, you know, it's like a bad relationship. I just don't want to get hurt again, you know? Yeah, you you give her her heart. (laughs) She's just going to walk all over. Uh, Uh, Women. (laughs) I I mean, that's how I feel about this White Sox team this year. I'm like, every time I'm ready to give in and and say, okay, baby, I'll take you back, she's just going to walk all over me again. She's going to make me feel dirty and used. Yep. She's going to take your leather jacket and you're never going to see it again. Oh, man. <laughs> Anywho. Um, <laughs> so. Um, so uh, Matt Foster gets demoted today. Vince Velasquez comes up uh, back f- off his uh, rehab innings that he did down in Charlotte. He actually looked pretty stinking good down in Charlotte. I mean. Granted, he's a MLB pitcher. He should look pretty stinking good in Charlotte. Um, but uh, I got to say, I'm pretty not happy that it's not Jose Ruiz. 
I was hoping you would say that. God, I was hoping you would say that because I think 98% of the Sox fan base is going to have to agree with you on that. Yeah, I've seen him uh, equated to Larry Garcia, but a pitcher. I saw the same. You just can't get rid of him, you know? He's uh, one of those guys that no matter what he does – no matter how he performs, he still manages to stick. And it's I, for personally for me, I have felt this way for like four seasons now because it's it just seems like he's been here forever, um, and he just won't go away, and they won't they won't let him leave. They no. just keep him keep him around. Luuri and Jose are the shareholders of Tony Larusa's nudes. Uh, that is an awful what are you holding thought. on? I mean, what are, what are they? What are these guys holding over? Well, what do you what do you got in your back pocket that's keeping you in these? Games? Well, all I'm saying is that if they if they in fact have seen uh, those pictures, uh, I understand them continuing to stick around because there are some things that you can't unsee, and if they were. Uh, if they've seen those pictures, I think they should be compensated somehow. I mean, I don't like it that it's here, but uh, there should definitely be some compensation. Um, yeah, he's been he's been with the White Sox since 2018. Yeah. Man, it feels like so much longer than that. Doesn't it? God, it does. I'm not, I'm not hearing you. Xavier, did you mute yourself? Yeah, I lost them too. Because I've got, I've got. No, I don't hear you. I've got, I've got Danny, and you guys are coming from the same source. So I see your lips moving. <laughs> um. Uh. Let's. Uh. So the White Sox, I believe, if I remember correctly, um, I'm trying to think of. Did the White Sox get Jose Ruiz in the Rule Five? Does that sound right, or did they, or did they just sign him? I can't I can't remember. Yeah. Um, pull out the old. But regardless, uh, my, my this is my my segue here. It, it's not it's not important. Um, but my segue here is is that he played for the San Diego Padres the season before he came to the White Sox, and I want to talk about the San Diego Padres. Oh, let's do that. I am ready to talk about the San Diego Padres just a little bit. So I don't know. Uh, I assume that you, since you were working all day, I just happened to have the TV on at my work, and I work in AV, so me having sports on in my office is not uh, uncommon. So <clears throat> Brian Kenny was on MLB Now, and he was dragging Fernando Tatis Jr. And uh, I-, I did not see this. I felt uh, pseudo-vindicated because the first thing that he happened to mention about Fernando Tatis Jr. uh, was that he was signed by the White Sox for $700,000, and he was not viewed as a can't-miss prospect. And 
that his stats with the White Sox weren't really all that great. And then he says, and almost as if overnight, he rocketed to one of the top prospects in the game and then the number one overall prospect in the game. And he was brought up and, you know, put up all these huge numbers. And then he says, how much of this is, you know, did he become a good player or was it just because he was juicing? And I was like, yes. Mm. (laughs) I felt pretty Uh, good about that. Yeah, and you know the funny thing is now is uh you know Fernando's obviously saying that uh it was a mistaken thing that he you know he used some topical you know cream or whatever it was that uh had an anabolic steroid and it, it was to get rid of my ringworm. Yeah, something. Yeah, something some skin condition which, you know, the cited uh Decided anabolic. I can't remember the name of it. It's one of those balls. So, you know, some yeah, centibolic something, or something like that. Centibolic. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because, you know, over the last, I don't know, say two or three years now, is it's actually become a very commonplace excuse amongst athletes who have been pinched. And now at this point, it has become almost rhetoric. When uh, someone gets pinched, this is the it's the go to anabolic now that everybody says that's what it was. That's what it was. Ah, cluster you know, ball. Cluster ball. Yeah, I knew it was one of those balls, you know, bowl, B O L at the end of there. Um, and it's almost as if the first time that this came out, and I believe it was somewhere over in Europe, it was the first time somebody got pinched. And use this as an excuse that, it, you know, it was almost like overnight, every single, you know, anabolic steroid, uh, any, any, anytime somebody got popped for an anabolic steroid, it all of a sudden became, this was what it was. And that's what's going on. And, uh, you know, don't worry. It was just a mistake. And then my first thought when I heard that come out, because I've heard this, I've heard of this Cenoball or whatever it is. This, you know, I've heard about this quite a few times now. And my first thought was, well, everybody's using this excuse. So I guess we're just supposed to feel, we're just supposed to believe that, but it, it almost feels overused at this point. And I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and throw the BS flag on that play. And I just kind of wanted to get your guys thoughts on that. Do you buy any of that, that this was just some topical cream that, oh, you know, it was an honest mistake and I didn't know it was in there, even though I'm a professional ball player and probably uh, need to be thinking about the things that I put in and on my body. And I just, oh, I just, I didn't know. I just made this mistake. And, you know, these creams are supposed to be prescription. These topicals are supposed to be prescription. So who is approving that? Uh, Xavier, you're, you're, uh, are you, are you, uh, back? I got nothing, nothing. nothing. Can you, you can hear us though, huh? Weird. It is weird. Cause I check, I checked discord and you're not muted. So not entirely sure what the heck's going on. Um, so I will say this, 
Uh, so he is a professional baseball player. He's rehabbing. He's uh, in Triple A. Um, well, there goes Xavier. He's gonna log out, log back in. I'm thinking. Yeah, maybe. Um, we'll give him a few minutes to figure that out. Go ahead and do that. There we go. Um. So uh, let's try Xavier. Your mic. You get it. Am I working? Yeah, there it hey. is. All right. Did I, did I mess anything up? No. Okay, good. Not that you I know, know of. Sometimes it's like that plug in, plug out, turn off, turn back on method I used. Yeah, I don't know what the there deal you go. Was. Uh So he's he's rehabbing in AAA <laughs> or whatever, you know, minor league, uh, and then he mysteriously gets ringworm, um, which if that is – indeed true that he did have ringworm one would wonder where the heck did you get ringworm um maybe you might want to check your surroundings uh second of all um if he is being prescribed something for said ringworm uh it would probably be from a team doctor would it not so if a team doctor is giving you something um it is going to be a an approved medicine and like one of the first things that they do when you when you take your orientation and stuff for this, you know, for coming up is that they tell you that if you're going to take something, you better double check that your medication that you're trying to take or this supplement that you're trying to take or this whatever you're trying to take is approved and doesn't have a banned substance in it. I 100% do not believe Fernando Tatis Jr. one iota, 100% cap, complete and total yes. garbage. Um, yeah, I yeah. I don't buy it at all. What do you think, Xavier? You know, if if I know anything about young people, it's that they're going to skate by and act dumb when the questions are coming. Um, just the other day, this person who obviously did this thing wrong in the work setting, um, th- when confronted with the questions, we, you, I and the others know what exactly happened and saw it play out without the person noticing. So we know what the answer should be. But when you go to the person, they're like, no, mm, I don't recall any of this. And that's how I feel here. Um, it probably now he's playing dumb, acting like there's no way I would have done something like that. Um, obviously, I, at least I think it's all BS, and he knows exactly what he did, and he's gonna see how far he can get before it becomes an even bigger issue. Yeah, I can't say that I disagree. Uh, I'm with you. Well, I, I think I made it pretty clear, although without actually coming out to say it, but I do believe it is complete and total pucky. Bull pucky. It's just horse pucky. Horse feathers. Yeah. 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 I don't buy it one bit. Uh, and now I'm waiting to see if this guy's uh, production, even you know, once he's done finishing his uh, – 80-game suspension, which, by the way, should give him all the time in the world that he needs to uh, try to get himself healthy. Mm. But, uh, you know, of course, if his production dips next season, he'll try to blame that sort of thing on having 80 games off. Yeah, 
Uh, I took so much time off. Yeah. I personally would uh, immediately debunk that with the fact that this guy has been uh, pretty much playing through injuries the last couple of seasons. It's been well documented that, uh, you know, he's had these issues with his back and his arm and shoulder. Uh, and it's been an ongoing thing, and you know he didn't want to go for surgery, and he was just rehab and continue to fight through these issues with his, I believe it was a labrum or something going on in his shoulder. I can't remember exactly what, but uh, you know uh, he would miss some time, come back, and it seemed like every time he would come back from this, I mean, shoulder just separating. That is not something you just bounce back from after 10 days off and then come back banging home runs left and right and playing a, the most wild shortstop a guy could play and ranging all over the field and throwing guys out from deep in the hole. It's all kind of starting to make sense now. You know, uh, how does a guy separate his shoulder and come back 10 days later and light it up? <laughs> you, uh, know? you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't have an answer for that. I just I just know that like Brian Kenny said is that he was not a can't miss prospect. Um if I remember correctly in the DSL or wherever the heck he was playing for the White Sox, um I want to say he was hitting like 200 or like 180 or something with no power. And uh and the White Sox trade him, and then all of a sudden, you know, within a year, the guy's, you know, dominating the minor leagues, and yeah. all of a sudden... He's, Overnight uh, phenom. Yeah, exactly. He goes from hitting, like, no home runs and striking out quite a bit, and um, all of a sudden, you know, those warning track shots are now home runs. And I, I don't, you know, we we could, of course, you know... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say it right right off the bat right now. He could come back and he could still be good. Uh, I, but see, the issue that that for me is that if he comes back and he's good, can you trust that that is natural, or has he just found a better way to get around the testing? You know, and well, you know, masking is going to be a thing. No. He- Let's be honest. It, baseball says it's uh, you know we're 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 doing everything we can to uh, fight the uh, the doping that's been going on in our game for years. But you know the reality is is we've seen this time and time again where there's it, it, guys are coming out and talking about I you know when you hear other players coming out and saying I know there's guys out there doing it and you know they're not being quiet about it they're yeah. not hiding it. You know, we know it's in the game, but yet baseball seems to find one guy to kind of pick out every year or other year and say, ah, we got one. We're slapping an 80 game suspension on him. Yeah. You know, this year just happens to be a guy who, you know, a lot of people are talking about, but it happens at the end of a season when the guy is not even with the team towards, I should say, not the end of the season, but, you know, the latter Third, seventy five percent through the season, yeah, yes, and, and and he's not even with the team, and he's rehabbing, and then on top of it all, you look at what that team did at the at the uh, trade deadline and how they bolstered their club 
and you go, ah, missing this guy really isn't going to hurt them all much. You know, does that just seems fishy to me when, you know, baseball's like, oh, yeah, we got one. We got one, but yet there's players out there saying there's plenty of guys still doing it, and they're not being quiet about it. They're not hiding it. You know, so the idea of, you know, masking these substances is not something that's new, and it's probably not going to go away. So, yeah, I'm sure these guys are finding ways to do it. And if he got popped this time, who's to say that he doesn't know 10 other guys using 10 other different substances that, uh, you know, might not be coming up on the MLB's radar? So we shall see. So what's, uh, I don't know, this is uh, maybe a conversation for another day, but what's the answer? Go hard at everyone or just adjust what things are allowed? Uh, you know, I don't know if there's ever really truly because, uh, as we all know, the money go- makes the world go round. And as- MLB is not... T- MLB is not uh, innocent in the fact that they like to have the superstar players put up the big numbers because it brings more money in for everybody. Uh, you know, we saw this during the whole slamming Sammy and and Mark McGuire and uh, you know going back to the the, uh, the home run chase, the record chase, and, and you know Barry Bonds and, and that whole situation. And, you know, to this day, it's attributed to those guys saving the game of baseball after, you know, some work stoppages in the 80s and 90s and and really essentially, you know, fans being put off by these millionaire baseball players, which we heard a lot about again this year with lockouts and, you know, talks of the new CBA. So to think that uh, MLB is just going to shut down some of its biggest top players. I, I I don't know if that's ever really going to happen. I truly is an answer. I think MLB is going to keep saying the same thing that they've been saying for years. We're on it. We're going to stay on it. We're going to get these guys. We're going to eradicate it from the game. But the reality is, is I don't think they have any intention of truly doing that because they only, it's going to hurt the business that they are running. Yeah. I, I don't think it, it's hard to go all in either way, just because they want their stars in, but on the other side, if they were to say, "Oh, you can do anything in this league," you do whatever you can to become the best, then they fall into problems later. Because what kind of drugs are these players taking, and what are some of those side effects? Because now you fall into the NFL's issue with the brain injuries and um, all of what goes into that. And now those players are coming for the league and saying, "Why'd you do this to us?" Now. Now, if you okay the drugs in baseball, they're going to take it because they obviously want to do more. At least some of the players will be like, yeah, let me take these so I can do cooler things and become more uh, the face of baseball as much as I can. And then later on, they realize the long history of using something uh, harmed them a lot more than they had thought it would have. Well, that goes back to uh, my answer of, you know, Money makes the world go around. And if these guys, you know, are like many of the people that walk this planet, uh, you know, you're there's a lot of people out there that don't think they really think about the long-term effects or even care about the long-term effects because 
they're going to do whatever it takes to enhance themselves to get the big dollar contracts. And you know what? If I get caught and I have to suspend, I get suspended 80 games without pay. Well, guess what? I got a 10 year contract that's worth $300 million. That 80 games is a drop in the bucket for me. Fernando Tatis, 14 year contract. Well, again, I mean, just insane. So 80 games without pay for him with that high dollar contract is absolutely nothing. I think, uh, if it was that performance enhancing drug that was able to net him that kind of a deal, I don't think he really gives a damn for getting pinched because the dude is set for life for generations after him. His family is set. So, yeah, the only, you know, this, it's going to be a problem for forever. I would assume the only thing that's going to cause a, an issue is if they do decide to try and figure out some way to void that contract, but <clears throat> because they didn't do it when he was riding the, the, uh, the motorcycle, um, and getting into accidents, you know, and in breach of contract, the fact that they didn't do it then, they, they're not going to be able to do it now because of that. So, I mean, it's just, I, I think that they're pretty much stuck with it unless he does something really stupid again that's in breach of contract, you know? Well, yeah, that, and you, you also got to think, you know, these sports agents these days are, I would say, if not all, the large majority of them are, are all you know, law majors, these, these guys all went to law school when they're drawing up these contracts and they're getting their guys to agree to these contracts and they're sitting down at a table with these teams. You got to imagine that these contracts are pretty ironclad and that it's going to take some doing and it's going to be a long drawn out process. So that maybe in the end, uh, you know, if one or two of these guys does have a contract taken from them, it's not going to be a small feat, you know? So uh, again, you know, and then what is the now going back to what I was talking about with you know Fernando uh, getting that kind of a contract, and some of these other guys getting these you know multi mega contracts, multi year you know huge deal mega contracts. What is that telling the younger generation now? Now you got these guys who you know uh, late in their prep stages, you know even kids going like say you know, thirteen U. Kids headed off to uh, you know the, the the little league world series, and you know looking at their future. What does that say to these kids? Like, hey, you know what? This guy got popped, but so what? But he's set he got for popped. life. He is set for life, and maybe I can too. It's pretty uh, pretty sad state. Yeah, unfortunately. I'm just interested to see what happens, you know, like, uh, I mean, only, only the future knows, you know, what's going to become of the rest of, of the man's career, whether or not, uh, he gets popped again or, you know, whatever. Uh, next time it'll be for an entire season. And then if he gets popped again after that, it's for his entire life. So we'll see. You know, because, I mean, he's going to miss, uh, what, like 40 games this year and 40 games next year. And uh, I don't know if you heard the uh, the A.J. Preller comments on the whole situation once he got popped, you know, saying that they're that, that he's very disappointed in him and that, uh, you know, maybe he'll learn something from it. And then Mike Clevenger comes out and says basically the exact same thing. It's the second time we've been disappointed with him this year. 
you know, you just hope that he can learn from it, blah, blah, blah. This coming from the guy who's out running around during the COVID lockdown with his teammate in Chicago, uh, completely being a, a dummy, you know, and now he's calling out uh, Fernando Tatis. You know, also for, being a dummy. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't hold any weight in that. And then, you know, Manny Machado um, also calling out uh, Fernando. So it's, you know, it's interesting. We'll see what happens. I don't think anything really is going to change. Uh, I don't see him going anywhere. I don't see anything. I don't, you know, obviously I don't see him being traded. Everybody's going to be worried about what they're getting if they were to trade for him. So that's not happening. And now are the, <laughs> uh, the Padres just stuck with like $320 million payroll or what I forget how much was his contract was it 240 or was it uh 300 or something I can't remember but um regardless I mean it's 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 a astronomical amount of money and um 340 million dollars that is so much money Fourteen uh, years, three hundred forty million dollars. He's going to lose about half a season's worth of that. Yeah, uh, but he's only losing a half of a season when he's making a base salary of five million dollars. So realistically, he's only going to lose two point five of it because the escalators towards the end of his contract. Um, this year it's five, then it goes to seven, then to eleven. Then in 2025, you got 2020, 25, 25, 36, 36, 36, 36, 36, 36. If he turns out to be a chemically created superstar, that is going to be one heck of an albatross contract. Oh, Can you imagine? Oh, $36 million a year, six years in that contract, and and he's nothing. He goes back to being the mediocre kid that was playing in the White Sox organization before being traded to San Diego. Oof. That's going to be a tough pill to swallow. And, you know, us as Sox fans, I see it all the time. You know, there are so many Sox fans out there since, uh, you know, Manny Machado signed over in San Diego. And then watching all these other moves where, you know, the White Sox are targeting this guy and that guy and San Diego signs them. And then San Diego signs all these guys in the offseason and spends a bunch of money. And then San Diego goes and does this at the trade deadline. And San Diego goes and does that at the trade deadline. And there's so many White Sox fans out there in the socials, whether it be Facebook or Twitter or you know, Reddit or one of the forums out there. There's so many Sox fans are saying, why can't we be more like San Diego and AJ Preller? Our ownership is cheap and they suck. And you go, well, all right, I get it. You would like to see our organization do more, but do you really want AJ Preller doing what he's doing over there? Do you want him coming over? I am going to have to say no, you know, it's the it's the, the 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 too far extreme of what's going on in baseball. You know, you've got the low end and the high end, and then you've got 
the Dodgers and Preller end. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, it's just it's kind of ludicrous. Uh, and yeah, if they're stuck with that albatross of a contract, there's going to be a, a handful of us Sox fans that are going to laugh and say, "I told you so." Yeah, well, told I told mean, you so. Yeah, you know, like the thing, the way that I look at it is that even if the Padres don't win a World Series, even if they don't, uh, with spending all this money and doing all these crazy moves and all this stuff, and you know, like say they end up bottoming out, you know, within the next five years or whatever, even with that, at least their fans were excited. And it was like Christmas morning, like multiple times over the last few years, you know, I mean, they've, they've done so many things that were super exciting that even if it doesn't end up working out, like I look at it and I'm still like, maybe it was worth it. You know, even if, you know, even if it doesn't work out. If you're a kid and you get that nice brand new shiny bike that's all fancy and new bangled and it's got all the bells and whistles on it, but the tires never seem to stay inflated, is that Christmas really all that great? For a moment it is, you know, and then that moment kind of fizzles and dies and I get what you're saying. They've had some exciting moments. They've said some things to cheer about and some things to feel good about about their organization and their team, but if they don't get over that hump, <clears throat> if they don't find a way to get past, I mean, they, they can't even, at this point, it doesn't even look like they can win their division. You know, uh, and it doesn't look like it's going to be uh, a division that, that could even be had for them for, you know, anywhere in the next couple of seasons, the way uh, LA has built their team over there. But, uh, you know, it's it, it's difficult to say. They, yeah, sure, maybe they get at some point. But you know, again, I, I just don't see. I, as Sox fans, we were kind of excited when this re- began. You know, we watched Rick Hahn go out and do you know what became to be known as Rick Hahn things. You know, he was fleecing. Was the it was the good term that uh, people were using a lot? You know, Recon yeah. fleece this team, Recon fleece that team, and you know, thanks Cubs and all that stuff that we hear. Yeah, things to be excited about. It's just that our tires were never fully inflated, so when they did go flat, you know, it was like, oh, here we go. Okay, so I guess the big difference between us and Padres is, is they had the brand new shiny bike, and, and you know, the the tires were fully inflated, and then they went flat. Ours never totally got fully inflated. We were we were kind of building a bike as we went with nice shiny new parts, and that bike now was like missing the handbrake or, or a, a pedal or something, and we can't seem to finish putting it together. <laughs> well, you know, like one thing I will say, actually a question I'll ask. Do you think that the Padres are going to regret the Manny Machado contract? Ah, uh, maybe towards the end of it. I mean, yeah, he, but well, but not really because if they play, if he plays really, really well for you know eight years of that ten year contract or whatever it is, yeah, I guess the last two years don't really matter. They yeah, you kind of, yeah, exactly. You write that off. You know that it's going to be a thing 
but in order to secure the player, you add on those extra years. Like that's something we've talked about numerous times. It's just that's it's a necessary evil, unfortunately. Now, do you think that they're going to regret trading for Blake Snell, who he started off this year rough, but lately he's been real good. I, right now, they're not regretting it. Do you think not, they're going to not, not one iota? Yeah. Do you think that they're going to regret uh, trading for Mike Clevenger, who's been pretty decent with them so far, and he's back from TJ and probably will end up being halfway decent for them? I would say probably not. I don't think so. Yeah, I'd say that, uh, you know, they just (laughs) traded Hosmer. He's gone. So that contract's gone. Um, The uh, Will Myers Myers is still there, I think. I don't think he's gone. But um, do you think that they're going to regret trading for Juan Soto? I don't. So, no, because even if he, you know, and here's the thing, uh, San Diego, their payroll the way it is now, these mega tracks, the way they are, uh, you know, backloaded, uh, chances are Soto stays until the end of his rookie contract and tests the free market the way, or the free agent market the way he was going to. So for this season, next year, and the, what is it, the following season, right? Yep. Yeah, two and, and, two half and a half years. Yep. Of him, uh, yeah, I think they'll probably enjoy having him for years. Absolutely, and you know, no harm, no foul. He's going to go ahead and leave, find himself that uber mega deal that will probably break records if you know he's going to have it his way. You know, if if there's any indication of what he turned down in Washington, you know, it'll probably be, if not a, a record breaker, it's going to be really close. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think they're going to feel bad about that. I don't either. So the way I look at it is that uh, the only thing that's really, really, I mean, obviously the Hosmer, he underperformed. And um, Will Myers, same things, kind of underperformed. But, I mean, both of them were older. And everybody, when they signed Hosmer, everybody was kind of like, huh? You know, yeah, kind of what? seemed like an odd one in the first place. But the thing is, is that he's like a super glue dude, you know. He's great for a winning clubhouse. Of course, granted, he gets traded out, you know, uh, yeah, when they're supposed to be trying to win. But uh, um, I, the Tatis contract, yeah, that was a bad one. But, like, all the other moves that they've really made, I don't see them regretting any of that stuff. You know, and if you thought – that Tatis was clean. If if you did, um, say that you were wearing a uh, a purple shirt with a polka dot bow tie like AJ Preller, um, that you go ahead and sign him because you think he's clean and he looks like he's a superstar. You know, just to get turned, you know, get turned on your ear that he's actually, you know, possibly a chemically created monster you know we'll see we'll see what happens yeah we will we will definitely see you know but then it, it also brings up the fact that they had to know about this history of injury that he's been up apparently playing through for ages the way they make it sound years and years and years he's this thing that he's just been playing through it's no big deal you know it's no big deal and they still signed him to this 
mega contract. It was only what? It was only a week or two after that signed it and came out and was made public that uh, you know the rest of us were finding about a you know about this injury that's been a reoccurring thing that he's you know with a little rehab and and exercise it, you know it comes back together. It, he might re-injure it every now and again, but you know I work it out and I keep it strong and you know I bounce back type of thing. You know you would think that San Diego had to know that that was there. So did they did they believe that you know he was going to be fine through that process or yeah. you know and the other thing is is did they know he was juicing? Did they know he was juicing and that's how he was bouncing back? I can't imagine that they would have signed him to a fourteen million or fourteen year deal for three hundred and forty million dollars if they knew that he was on a PED. There's there's no way they could I mean, because if he gets popped you oh, know, it's bad news. Yeah, it's very bad news. And for the fact that he's like still owed, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, $320 million over the next 13 years, that's pretty ugly. So yeah, you got to wonder how much of that is guaranteed. All of it. Unless he's in breach of contract, which they didn't release it. And he's got a full no trade clause through 2028. So I can't even get rid of him until 2029. And and then at 20, in 2029, when he's 30 years old and he's got an arthritic back because you signed him to a 14-year, $340 million contract when he's got a bad back and you knew he had a bad back before you signed him to this massive extension. And the back yeah. is not something that you mess with. Yeah. So, anywho, uh, moving on. Um, Team no trade list, twenty twenty nine to twenty thirty four. Oof. Yeah, that's rough. You um, imagine the White Sox are on that list. Oh, I'm sure they're on the list. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. They're on the list. I think. I, I mean, I, not that we would take them back at this point, but you know. If a player has a no-trade clause, I am a White Sox fan, but I'm almost 100% certain that every team that's got like one of these 10-team no-trade clauses, the White Sox are on every single one of them. <laughs> you know what? I laugh because it's true. Sometimes yeah, real, I mean, life, real life mimics comedy. Comedy mimics real life. It's, you know. Oh, you ouch. see, every player in Major League Baseball right now sees what the White Sox are doing. Every single one. And if the rumors are true, when people that are involved with the White Sox go anywhere, people ask them, hey, what's wrong with that team? Why do they suck so bad? What's wrong with them? You know, like everybody is fielding that question. So that to me suggests that everybody's watching this and they're just like, I don't know what's wrong with it, but I know for a fact that I don't want to have anything to do with that. I'm not taking my career and putting it over there because everything that goes there 
turns to crap. So oh, I'm. God is so true. It. I. I don't want to. I like. It's not something that I. I uh, that makes me feel good to say, but that's. I mean, they're not signing the big contract players. Now, whether that be because they're afraid to make the financial commitment, uh, b they will not make the financial com- commitment, or c that the player just doesn't want to come here. Probably or, all the above. Or <laughs> D or number four, whichever. I forget what uh, lettering or numbering system I was using. I'll just do bullet points. The fourth point um, is that, you know, these players look and see what, you know, that Tony LaRusso is here managing the team. No, thank you. Because they see the idiocy that's going on, you know. I mean, there's there's just a laundry list of reasons for people to not come to the White Sox now that has to be far more motivating than getting them to come here and accept these halfway, you know, half of it's idiotic and the other half is just, you know. So what you're saying is at this point, of the rebuild and after this 2022 season, the way it is gone, what you're saying is, is next season when Rick Hahn says we had a seat at the table and we didn't get the guy we want. Oh, you cut out. No, I I'm sorry. Am I back? Am I yeah, here back? Yeah. Okay, good. I was just saying after, after what we're going through this 2022 season and the way this team is playing and performing and, you know, versus the expectations. Are you trying to tell me that when Rick Hahn has a seat at the table next season and he doesn't get his guy, that we had a seat at the table, we tried, we didn't get him, that there actually might be truth to that? Oh, because 100%. What, the point, the point of what you're making right now is it sounds like that could be the thing. Yeah, you know what? We threw all the money at him. They didn't want to come here because, you know, we still have Tony LaRusa and we still have Jerry Reinsdorf. And we still have the same training staff that, you know, not only doesn't prepare our team to stay away from injuries, but tells guys to not hustle. So, yeah, we we offered this guy way more money than somebody else did, but he didn't want to come here because we suck. We had a seat at the table. Yeah, I mean, do you feel that it would go some other way? Because if I'm a big money free agent, the only thing I'm using the White Sox for is hoping that they're that they finally get to the point that they are willing to pay somebody, and I use that as leverage to get somebody else to pay me a little bit more. Because I'm not coming here, but I'll talk to them like I am coming here if I can get some something some more, you know, more money somewhere else. Even if it's a million dollars a season, even if it's five hundred thousand dollars a season, even if it's the same ah. amount of money, I'm going elsewhere. The mega contract players bargaining tool, the Chicago White Sox. Well, I mean, like you saw the Manny Machado contract, or you know, you heard we heard about it. You know, we put together a very competitive deal, what we thought was the best one. We just didn't guarantee it. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't guarantee, guarantee the it. back half of it. And we didn't give him what he wanted. 
and somebody was willing to give him what he wanted, so he signed there. And, you know, put on top of that, it's San Diego where the weather's always perfect. You can't compete with that yeah. here. And even, even yeah. Rick Hahn says that you can't compete with that here. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know. We'll see how things go. But if, if Tony LaRusa sticks around for next year and this team does not even make the playoffs, or if they just eke it out at the very last second and then they finish exactly how they did last year with one win and a first-round exit, are are you I, – I just – I don't know. I don't know what to expect, you know. I guess I would have to see, like, where where this team goes. If they decide to get another manager, you know, then maybe, maybe that changes things a little bit. But for what I see right now and the fact that it was mentioned – or uh, alluded to that he had a three-year contract, that means he's going to be here next year unless he yeah, decides another, to leave. One of, one of those uh, Bob Nightingale leaks, I believe, uh, said he had a three-year deal. So but, uh, if that's the case, you do you know, expect anybody else to come here next year? And are they going to have the budget for it? I mean, look at the fact that they're, like, at, at, the, at this point right now, they're not in the playoffs. And they've got their highest payroll ever. So are That's they going to spend more money? I don't think so. I was actually quite shocked that they even added $30 million to their payroll. I was 100% expecting them to add absolutely nothing. And they did add a couple of things. Uh, it just so happens that, uh, you know, in my estimation, the things that they added were misguided and dumb. Yeah. I, you know, that's the thing. So, you know, we've been talking about the money will be spent. We, we've heard that phrase. I don't know how many times since it's been said, you know, you hear it and see it everywhere. Uh, the thing is, is yeah, there has been a lot spent, but not wisely. It has not been spent wisely. And it's frustrating to know that a couple of guys sitting in their basement or in their office at home doing a Twitch stream see the hole, the gaping hole in right field and the gaping hole at second base and know that those are the two positions of need going into the season and they're not addressed. And there are the people out there that are talking, well, you know, payroll's payroll's really high. They're, they're fifth, sixth, seventh, depending on, you know, what time and point in the season you look at it and, you know, who might have surpassed them or who might have fell behind them. You know, as the payroll shuffle around, the fact of the matter is, is the Sox have been in the top seven payroll all year. And, yeah, you can say that all you want, but they did not spend that money wisely. We are still looking at the same issues that we've been looking at for seasons now. So we can talk about payroll all I want to, but the reality is, is roster construction has not been good. Nope, has not. All right, well, it's 11 o'clock. It's about that time. Any final thoughts? Quick final thoughts, gentlemen's. Xavier, no. what's your take on tonight's podcast? Oh, you know, it was great to uh, chat about the White Sox. I haven't had a chance to talk Sox too much lately. And I think we're in for a pretty big week. Um, my feelings might change depending on this week. You know, Usually I'm pretty, I'll find 
a lot of positives. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys seen any of the videos, but yeah, you, uh, last you week, try you try so hard to be positive. I I admire that about you. <laughs> there there was one last week that I did every single player in the lineup, and I tried to find something something positives uh, in each person, and some of them were extremely hard. Um, I was able to find two towards the end of the lineup, and it worked out, but. I think this week might change a little bit about how I feel on maybe player by player, but also just the team as a whole. Because I think this week's a pretty important week in the of the overall schedule. Yeah, this uh, Astro series and then uh, the Guardians right after that. That's a that's a Guardians. tough little run here. So we'll see what uh, we'll see what comes of it. Um, yeah, well, you know, there's a chance to uh, gain here uh, if the chips fall in the white Sox direction uh you know the one thing we didn't talk about tonight and i'll keep this short and sweet is i'm really looking forward to tomorrow night's game uh if you're listening on the podcast tomorrow morning after we record this tonight it'll be tonight's game uh being tuesday the uh probably uh the top two or three in the American League, in uh, you know Cy Young potential for this season, facing off each other and uh, against each other in a Mister uh, Justin Verlander on the bump for the Houston Astros, and our very own mustachioed Dylan Cease uh, facing off. So I- I'm really looking forward to that, uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, if this uh, little uh, blip of success that the White Sox have seemed to find here recently continues and uh you know maybe uh maybe if they can uh win a series against the houston astros here and kind of carry that momentum into the guardian change my tune about this team but uh you know i'd like to see again more offense i don't want to see that broken record but uh, we'll see how it goes yeah that uh that kansas city series where they lost three out of four could loom large in uh, the results that they ultimately end up with at the end of the season. Um, that could be a huge thing if they continue to, you know, tread water or even get slightly a little bit, you know, a little bit of a, a boost here. Because um, the Guardians are playing fairly decent baseball. You know, they're eight games over, over 500, and the uh, Twins are four games above 500, um, but they are tied with the White Sox at two games behind the Guardians. So we'll see. We will see what uh, ends up happening in this. I agree. This is a an important week. You know, we've been talking about uh, the, the schedule favoring the White Sox and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, there, there's been the um, talk about it's not who you play, it's when you play them. You know, and that that has uh, certainly shown up a little bit for the White Sox. You know, they end up playing a couple of teams that are statistically bad for the entire season, but they happen to be coming in on semi-hot streaks. Um, you know, the, the the Royals weren't too terribly bad when we played them last week, and uh, you know, there's been there's been a couple of uh, the A's were coming off of a sweep of Houston. Granted, we still. You know the 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 Sox still did their business against the A's, but uh, you know, I don't know. We'll see. It's been a 
very, very trying year. Um, <laughs> and we'll see where it ends up. Um, looking forward to this week. Uh, see if uh, Jose Rodriguez can continue his hot streak in double A. Um, he went, I think it's in two weeks, he went from one home run to eight home runs. Uh, it seems like he's hitting a home run every other day or a couple days in a row, and then I'll wait a couple of days, and then he does a couple more in a row. Uh, and Oscar Colas, same thing. Oh, uh, man. Been torching the ball. Uh, he's at nine home runs in uh, 21 games or something like that in uh, in Birmingham. And uh, he's got something like a 172 WRC plus or something like that. Making yeah. a case for the call up at uh, at the September expansions, at least a promotion. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I don't necessarily believe the Sox will. I'm just saying there's a case for it, but uh, you know, it's not often we see the White Sox organization have a guy skip an entire level. Although you know, Lenin Sosa, we saw earlier this year without playing a single game in AAA, did he did for a minute, yeah. Went back down, that. but when he went back down, he's he he went he got sent to Charlotte. Yeah, and, and it took him a few back games. up for a short time. So yeah, took him a few games, but he started hitting <laughs> the ball. And uh, my uh, my buddy Tyler Neslonia started hitting the ball as well in uh, in Charlotte. Uh, he's finally found his swing again, and he's uh, smacking the ball around. So I'm hoping that he uh, he makes a step as well. I know he's an older prospect and whatever, but uh, I like the tool set, so we'll see what uh, happens there. Um, yeah, so uh, next Monday, we'll see how much this uh, attitude around attitude around these parts changes. You know, whether uh, we're more optimistic or whether we're just done. So I think this is <laughs> this is probably that week because it's the make or break. It if is. they if they go and do uh, for the next six games, I mean they won today, but if they go for the next next six games through next weekend, uh, through Sunday against the Guardians, if they go three and three in the next six games, um, they still sit, you know, two or three back, three yeah. back. Yeah, and especially if if they happen to lose two out of three to the Guardians, but they win two out of three against the Astros, uh, they could lose game and you know lose ground in the division. So, um, yeah, we'll see where it, uh, see where this week goes, and uh, we'll catch up next week Monday nine p.m. White Sox Daily. Uh, you can find us at Twitter at Daily White Sox on Twitter. And you can find us at whitesoxdaily.substack.com for uh, our uh, articles and other content. You can find uh, this in podcast form there tomorrow morning. Um, you can sign up for the email list in there, and uh, it'll be delivered straight to your emails. Um, at iEskridge on Twitter, at Xavier Sanchez, uh, Xavier underscore Sanchez for. And at Danny Miller WSD. Uh, my name is Ian Eskridge. You've been listening to White Sox Daily Live. Thanks for coming and hanging out and uh, listening. Uh, for Xavier Sanchez and the Danny Miller, I say thank you. 
We appreciate you guys. Have a great night. Thanks.